everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX Podcast. My name's Mike Corvino. With me as always, Cole Swanson. Cole, what's up, man? Nothing much. How was work today? It's pretty good. Yeah. A little hectic. Yeah. Yeah. Came back here, had about 30 seconds to set up. That's how we, we do go. it, though. Don't look over anything. <laughs> no sound check. Nothing. Just go for it. <laughs> Hope it works. Well, I mean, it's hard to lose with uh, the lighting situation we have going on. Yeah. Here. Yeah. You can be blind by the end of the day. Yeah. Um, we got this new, I think we talked about it beforehand, but uh, great lighting apparatus in the, uh, I think that's the only way to describe it. It's an apparatus. Um, Spider-Man could, could spin a few webs on that thing. Yeah. It's an interesting analogy, but yeah. It looks good. Thanks, man. I think it's cool. Uh, so, how's work going for you? Good. Yeah. We were down to tech the other day, so kind of hectic, but we survived. There you go. All right. Well, today we are talking about another thyroid issue. Yes. But we're going a different way this time. Instead of being hypothyroidism, we are talking hyperthyroidism. Correct. So we've already done the low and the myxedema coma. Yep. We hit that and we said we'd come back to hyper and we are. So here we, here, are. Here we go. We start, keep our we keep our promises. Start from the bottom. Now we're here. We're like a good politician. <laughs> yeah. Just the, like that. The best kind. So, uh... Yeah, we're going to go through this. We're going to probably do, I'd say, we'll, we'll say brief overview. Yeah, it's <laughs> We're not going to go super in-depth with There's any not, of it. not a whole lot of med management here. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually pretty easy, which is nice. Uh, we'll go through some of the labs, and we'll talk some patho, a uh, little bit of stats. Always got some stats in my back pocket. I, I figured you did. And then, yeah, there's a little bit of symptom management, but then there's the main stuff. And then there's, um, you know, some surgery and things that people sometimes have. So, so I'll obviously walk us through all of that. Yeah. Very carefully <laughs> and uh, in great detail. Oh yeah. Just from personal experience, basically. Yeah. Would you ever want to be a politician? A politician? Yeah. No. Me either. Not even close. Nah, never even crossed my mind. I think that'd be horrible. Yeah. I thought you meant a surgeon. I thought you were going to go surgeon. And I was like, yeah, sure, if they just let me do it. Well, I mean, you could do that. <laughs> and a politician. It could be, you know, pharmacists could be useful in surgery. Can't see why, but, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to say. Yeah. Makes me feel important. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be cool. I think uh, it's, that would be, I don't know. You got to really love, really love surgery if you're going to go that route. That's a long time to spend in school. Yeah, we com- you know, I complain about standing up for 12 hours in a pharmacy. Imagine... Uh, Standing up for 12 hours over somebody's chest being open. Yeah. No. Or their brain. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Pretty intense. That'd be crazy. I feel like yeah. I'd be distracted within five minutes. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be a surgeon. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. So, thyroid. Anyways, yes. back to reality. <laughs> Where do you uh, want to start with all this? Yeah. So, um, what is hyperthyroidism? A uh, set of disorders uh, involving anything with excess synthesis and secretion of thyroid hormones by the thyroid gland. Um, the terms hyperthyroidism and thyrotoxicosis are sometimes thrown around, um, interchangeably. They are a little bit different. You can have, uh, thyrotoxicosis, I think without having hyperthyroidism or at least not having, um, an actual increase in synthesis and secretion of the thyroid hormone. It can come from other things like exogenous thyroid hormone, um, or from like a virus causing a sub, uh, acute, um, thyroiditis. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but the most common forms of hyperthyroidism are diffuse toxic goiter. So you may um, recognize that from school, and you may have even seen people with goiter. Uh, but usually that's characteristic of Graves' disease. And also toxic multinodular goiter uh, or plumber disease, a little bit less common. And then toxic adenoma. So those are the main forms of hyperthyroidism. 
Um, and obviously that would be um, T3 and T4, free T3 and T4, kind of what uh, caused that. Their labs you're looking at, you're also looking at TSH. And um, yeah, we'll talk about uh, what you'll see in that process. So I guess uh, we can kind of break these down a little bit if you want, but uh, Graves' disease is probably going to be the most common form of hyperthyroidism. Um, that's an autoimmune condition. And basically your, your autoantibodies are directed specifically um, at your thyroid stimulating hormone, so TSH. Um, it's going after the receptor. So as a result, the thyroid gland is stimulated, um, causing it to enlarge, uh, increase the thyroid hormone production, and then you get this elevation in your thyroid hormone levels from there. Um, but yeah, it can definitely be exacerbated by some other uh, types of issues. And then risk factors can be everything from genetic to certain dietary uh, dietary um, supplements, such as like iodide intake um, can be from smoking, can even increase your chances of having it. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's probably the most common form of it. And like, like Cole said, uh, uh, it's a, described as a diffuse toxic goiter. Yeah, I think 60 to 80% of cases of um, thyroid toxicosis are Graves' disease, which is about 0.5 cases per 1,000. Um, during one 20-year study, peak occurrence when people about 20 to 40 years old. Uh, but yeah, you would look at TSH, free T3 and T4. You'd probably see low TSH, uh, but still high T3, T4. Because um, obviously your body is saying, eh, let's stop making that, but it's still happening. Um, so if you wanted to look specifically, like Mike said, you would want to do some autoantibody testing and that might reveal Graves or, um, something more specific. And you can also look at, um, some of the, you know, characteristic general signs and symptoms like nervousness, anxiety, increased perspiration, kind of the opposite of what you're looking at in a hypothyroid situation, uh, hyperactivity, palpitations of the heart, uh, heat intolerance, uh, tachycardia, uh, hand tremor, muscle, hand tremor, muscle weakness, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so that's that might be what you see. Uh, but like I said, um, you may have elevation of T3 levels only in a milder thyrotoxicosis situation. You can also have subclinical hyperthyroidism, uh, which has decreased TSH but normal T3 and T4, and uh, not necessarily has to be treated. So we'll mainly be talking about actual thyrotoxicosis and uh, other forms of hyperthyroidism. Um, and then as far as, uh, thyrotoxicosis, um, some of the other, Cole went through some of the symptoms, but, um, one of the other things to kind of be aware of is if you see, depending on the patient's, um, age and things like that, it can kind of determine how it would present. And so like in younger patients, they would typically have some sort of a like sympathetic, uh, activation. So like anxiety, um, hyperactivity, tremor, things like that. And whereas in older patients, um, we would most likely see more of like a cardiovascular uh, type symptom. So it could be anything from like AFib to like dyspnea. Um, we can even see a lot of unexplained weight loss. Um, and so, you know, and then when it comes to like Graves' disease, especially you know, Graves' disease and thyrotoxicosis, you're going to see like this periorbital edema um, specifically in that. So the eyes kind of pop out a little bit. Yeah, and so um, you can have issues with the eyes, and we'll talk about other um, 
symptoms that you can control potentially with medications, then obviously the medications that can be used to decrease the actual thyroid levels. Um, but generally, Mike talked a little bit about uh, pathophysiology. So he mentioned that uh, you do need iodine to synthesize thyroid horm hormone, which I think I've talked about this before in a different episode. But um, yeah, the, the two things that the government like supplements us with, one is fluoride, obviously in the water. Uh, but if you ever wondered why there is iodized and not iodized salt, it's because uh, we do add iodine to our salt uh, so that we all have plenty of it and we have less thyroid issues because of that. So in some um, lesser developed countries, I suppose, where they don't get supplementation of iodine, it's more common to have um, issues with uh, the thyroid because of that. So that's kind of cool. I probably mentioned that back in the other thyroid episode, but yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, also, we mentioned free T3 and T4. So the thyroid hormones are almost always... Uh, bound to plasma proteins and inactivated, like more than 99.9%. Um, so that's why when you measure, you're looking at free T3 and T4, because that's what can actually be biologically active. Uh, the free T3 is 20 to 100 times more active than T4. So we'll talk about with the meds, one of them specifically targets um, the conversion of T3 to T4, I mean, of T4 to T3. I think that's how it goes. Yeah, pretty T4 sure. T4 to T3, yeah. Um, and so it, it acts a little more acutely a little more potently so you might want to use it in the instance of a thyroid storm um whereas the other one a little bit more slowly but still faster than say radioactive iodide treatment um which generally is kind of where you're headed with treatment but um yeah we'll get into that with the mechanism of action of those meds so as far as goals of treatment, um, basically we would want to minimize or even eliminate the symptoms and improve the patient's overall quality of life. Um, we want to minimize some of the long-term damage to organs, especially like on the heart, uh, things like that. We do have a higher increase of even sudden cardiac death. Um, you have a higher risk of bone demineralization and fractures um, with someone that has hyperthyroidism. And so we want to minimize those complications. And also from a lab standpoint, we would want to normalize your free T4 and TSH concentrations so that you become euthyroid. Um, now that doesn't always happen depending on how we treat it, but um, sometimes these patients kind of go into a hypothyroidism type situation, but we'll talk about that in a second. And um, there's obviously, like you mentioned, there's side effects from the disease, but there's also side effects from the medications potentially. So if you treat this a lot, you'll probably end up seeing someone who develops a granulocytosis or hepatitis from the medications. Uh, so it's important to discuss this with the patient before starting because uh, it is a risk-benefit type of situation. Um, so, you know, we might give written or verbal instruction, um, letting them know that if they develop a high fever, like 100, over 100.5, I think they said, so around 100 in one, or a severe sore throat, they might want to stop taking the medication, seek medical attention. So it's uh, we can make sure it's nothing severe. Um, <clears throat> but some other issues um, that can arise from the disease itself. So we mentioned um, ophthalmic issues. So even though... Um, about 50% of patients do have mild signs and symptoms of thyroid eye disease. Only about 5% develop severe um, ophthalmopathy, uh, like diplopia, uh, visual field defects, other blurred vision instances. Um, so generally, you would just want to refer them to an ophthalmologist if you think this, there's any uh, kind of issue there or you have any concern for that. Also, uh, dermopathies, so issues uh, with the skin, specifically around the ankles, you can have infiltrative dermopathy. 
Um, it's characterized by accumulation of glycosaminoglycans and inflammatory cells in the dermis. Uh, you can see discoloration, and, and, and it can be um, somewhat permanent, kind of like the goiter. So even though we can decrease the thyroid levels, uh, the goiter can be permanent, and that can be frustrating for patients. So important to get on top of this if, um, if you find it. No real effective treatment exists for the, um, for the dermopathy. Uh, some people try nightly occlusive wraps to the effective sites. Uh, you can recommend that um, with plastic wrap used after the application of high-potency topical steroid cream can slow down the um, development of this. But, um, yeah, it's, there's not, like, any medication or anything like that. Um, other symptoms, you can have neurologic and cardiovascular symptoms. Uh, these can be kind of um, tempered by beta blocker therapy. Uh, we'll talk about which ones you may choose. Uh, but before you start it, you'd want to make sure that they're hydrated because uh, dehydration is a common symptom of hyperthyroidism. So um, make sure they're orally rehydrated. Then you can initiate a beta blocker therapy. If they are contraindicated to beta blockers for whatever reason, uh, there could be various reasons like significant history of asthma or other things. Uh, you could try a calcium channel blocker like verapamil or diltiazem. So those um, non-dehydrocalcium channel blockers. And uh, yeah, that's another option. Good deal. Um, we mentioned briefly some labs that I, would, I do want to talk about a couple more since specifically Graves' disease is an autobody, um, you know, or an autoimmune condition rather, um, unless you you didn't mention any of the auto um, antibody tests, did you? No. Okay, make sure I didn't miss you say that. But um, a couple of them to, to think about, there's the anti-thyroid um, peroxidase or anti-TPO antibody. Um, which is going to be um, one of the labs you could potentially get. And there's this nonspecific elevation that um, you'll see with autoimmune thyroid disease. So it's only about 8% of Graves patients. Um, but ones that are a little bit more um, diagnostic would be things like the thyroid stimulating antibody or uh, TSAB, um, there's a, which is a... Uh, it's also known as TSI or thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin, um, long acting thyroid stimulator. Um, there is the TSH receptor antibody, um, which is that one specifically can be found as high as 81% of Graves disease patients. And so, um, you know, a positive test for that is definitely diagnostic for, for Graves disease. And the reason for that is because that autoantibody, um, circulates and it attaches to the thyrotropin receptor and provides continuous stimulation of the thyroid gland. So that's why you're going to have elevated levels even with uh, a low TSH. Yeah. And so if you are looking at these labs, um, if it is Graves' disease, you'd see significantly elevated anti-TPO um, with elevated TSAB. Um, and then if it was something like toxic adenoma, you would see low or absent anti-TPO uh, and TSAB. Um, and then if it was like toxic multinodular goiter, um, then we would get low or absent anti-TPO and TSAB again. So um, it gives you a little bit gives you a little bit of an idea of how you can use some of those autoantibody titers to to dictate which um, is what is actually causing the thyrotoxicosis or hyperthyroidism. Yeah. Um, so treatment, want to 
start into some of that? Yeah. So like we said, uh, it's pretty easy as far as pharmacotherapy goes. So for a pharmacist, it makes life pretty simple. Uh, there's basically two things, two antithyroid drugs that you can use, and they're pretty old. <clears throat> They've been around. They're tried and true since like the 1940s. Uh, they're methimazole and propothiouracil probably heard of them. Uh, if you see them, they're probably being used for, um, for hyperthyroidism. Uh, but they're employed for long-term control in children, adolescents, even pregnant women, certain situations. Um, and in adult men or non-pregnant women, um, they can be used to control hyperthyroidism before definitive therapy with radioactive iodine. So like we said before, uh, this is kind of all steps to get the symptoms under control and try to get um, the levels at least generally under control with the idea to use radioactive radioactive therapy mm -hmm. um, and in certain instances a thyroidectomy. Uh, but these uh, generally uh, inhibit the processes necessary for um, synthesis of the thyroid hormones. Um, so usually you'll see a gradual reduction of the hormone levels over about two to eight weeks, could even take longer. Um, a second action of uh, propothiouracil, uh, but not methimazole, is it inhibits the conversion of T4 to T3. So that's what I was mentioning earlier. Um, like, like I said, T3 is more biologically active, so it, the quick reduction in that um, may result in a quicker clinical improvement. So specifically, you might want to use that in the instance of a thyroid storm. Uh, but otherwise, generally, methimazole is considered the first-line therapy um, for various reasons, one easy one being that it's once a day, whereas the other needs to be taken two to three times a day. So just as far as adherence goes, it's a little bit better. Yeah. Um, the Also, if, if we look at, um, like, for instance, the... Um, PTU that has a black box warning of severe liver injury and then acute liver failure in some cases. So some of the side effect profile can be a little bit more severe um, with PTU. Um, and then um, some adverse effects to kind of watch for uh, just in general. And this can kind of be with both of them, but GI upset, um, headache, rash, loss of taste and taste perversion is pretty common. Um, but then it can cause some things like that are a little bit more severe, like drug induced lupus. Um, you know, it's like Cole had said earlier, agranulocytosis and, uh, you know, things that we definitely don't want to have to add on to the patient's, uh, plate. So definitely, um, have the conversation with, you know, if they're a candidate for using pharmacotherapy, um, whether they're waiting for the ablative uh, iodine procedure um, or they just are not going to be a candidate for that, um, having a conversation with them and letting them kind of see all the different adverse effects um, versus the benefits and making sure the patient is involved with their, with their care, if you will. Now, one instance where you'd want to use PTU is uh, in the first trimester of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Methimosol is not recommended uh, for reasons that I'm not sure... So I'll just call them scalp so, abnormalities because I'm not sure what the... Uh, so in first trimester specifically, yes. um, yeah, the fetal abnormalities are seen with methimazole, but that's just the first trimester. Correct. Okay. So if, if a patient is on methimazole um, and they desire to get pregnant, you might switch them to PTU for maybe the first 12 weeks, and then you can switch them back to methimazole for the duration of the pregnancy. Yeah. And that's been, and the reason, again, you wouldn't want to keep them on PTU is because of that liver toxicity right. risk. Right. So, so unless um, they had like an allergy or they're intolerant to methimazole for another reason, you're that's what you're going with. Yeah. So those uh, those are the two the two drug options. So not really a whole lot to. Yeah, there. I mean, there's there's like older things that have been used, but you'd probably never use like potassium iodide 
which inhibits thyroid secretion. Lugal solution. Lugal right? solution. Yeah. So um, I, I literally found a bottle of Lugal solution that had expired in 1999. Oh, really? And then when we were doing the reconstruction of the clinic, <laughs> um, yeah, I found that buried in a closet somewhere. That's I was like, hilarious. Oh, look at this. But it can be administered um, like 10 days before a thyroidectomy. So I think it, you know, it's still used in certain situations. But for general hyperthyroid treatment, it's really not. Um, so radioactive iodine is approved by the FDA to treat hyperthyroidism, uh, which is what we were talking about. Um, and, uh, sodium iodide 131I or iodotope or Hycon, I guess is like the brand name for it. So that's one option for radioactive iodine therapy. Uh, but I don't think I mentioned which beta blockers you would use. So a couple of options, there's non-selective, so you could do propranolol. Um, and then there's also the beta-1 selective if you wanted that. Atenolol is kind of uh, what they go with in those situations. And usually it's just, I think, short-term until you get the the, um, um, the the hormone levels under control. And then they're just not really going to have as many symptoms. So you can taper off. I guess you wouldn't really just want to stop that abruptly. Might have some rebound hypertension, but taper them off um, quickly and bada-bang, bada-boom. And so, yeah, the other thing is if someone presents with um, thyrotoxicosis that you suspect may be a thyroid storm, um, which is obviously more severe, a little bit more life-threatening. Um, there is a, like a scorecard, if you will, that you can utilize to kind of see what the likelihood of it being a thyroid storm is. Um, it's based on a few different criteria, thermoregulatory dysfunction being the first one. And so you get a certain number of points based on your temperature. So for instance, if the patient's temperature is 100 to 100.9, um, degrees Fahrenheit, then they would get a score of 10. And then it just goes up by five from there. Um, and then they look at central nervous uh, system effects. So um, agitation, they look for delirium, psychosis, um, and then eventually seizure coma. And so the point system goes up from there. Um, also GI and hepatic dysfunction. So diarrhea, nausea, vomiting being more mild symptoms to severe symptoms being like unexplained jaundice. Um, there's also cardiovascular dysfunction that they look for. So like tachycardia or AFib, um, and then even heart failure. And so if you have, um, different degrees of heart failure, like presentation, like pedaline, um, edema versus like pulmonary edema. Um, and then, you know, the, you basically would add up your, your score and see what you, what you graded at. See, see how you did. And uh, a score of 45 or more is going to be highly suggestive of a thyroid storm. So that's a passing grade. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess it depends on how you look at it, but yeah. <laughs> and then It's like golf. Lower numbers are better. Yeah. There's a, you know, masters going on. But remember that that is like a, a true thyroid storm is a life-threatening medical emergency. Um, that's a complete decompensation of the, of hyperthyroidism and I mean, it can lead to, um, death. So, I mean, and it can happen from somebody who has history of hyperthyroidism and then they have to go some kind of surgery. Maybe they have trauma or an infection, um, non-adherence to their anti, anti-thyroid medication, whatever the case may be, uh, it can definitely cause a problem. Yeah. Um, death is usually, usually what we're trying to avoid in these situations. Yeah. It's not it's not great. It's not the ideal outcome. But yeah, we mentioned PTU would be used in that situation, usually administered um, every six to eight hours. And that's where I've, I, I, I would have to double check this myself, but I believe one hour after PTU, that's when you can give like Lugol solution, things like that. And then the beta blocker, like you were saying. And then um, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but dexamethasone 
can also be I given you know, in some cases. They use that specifically um, along with like aggressive cooling with Tylenol or cooling blankets for symptom relief. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah, for the most part, that's it. We didn't talk a whole lot about um, thyroidectomies. They, they kind of said it's, you know, limited to certain situations. And since the the drugs and the radioactive iodine therapy work so well, it's not done as much. But I feel like I've met a lot of people who've had their thyroid out. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm, I guess it's, you know, after you, you fail that, then that's the next option. Yeah. But that is the oldest version of hyperthyroidism treatment because... Uh, once they realize that's what's going on, they just start cutting those suckers out. Yeah. Um, a couple of things too that we, we didn't mention. Um, so we did, we said methimazole is more potent and longer acting. Um, but um, the the other thing to keep in mind is that the antithyroid drugs are going to be dosed every four weeks until the thyroid function normalizes. I don't know if you mentioned that or not, Cole. Like, but, like, you, um, like increase or titrated? Yeah, the yeah. drug doses are going to be titrated um, up based every four weeks um, until and then continue or stay eventually once the labs normalize. And then um, the other thing, too, is that uh, patients with Graves' disease um, have, uh, oftentimes will experience remission after uh, treatment for 12 to 18 months. Um, however, recurrences are pretty common within the following year. Yeah, and as far as the radioactive iodine goes, um, its effect is less rapid than that of the antithyroid medications or even thyroidectomy, uh, but it is effective, it's safe, it does not require hospitalization even though I'm sure the term radioactive iodine therapy might scare some people. Um, the dose is 75 to 200 uh, in units that I do not recognize. Milli- or microcuries. Or Micro- milli- I think it's millicuries in that case, and then microcuries, I believe, if you're having like a actual image image taken. Nice. I, I don't know why. I, I, I hope I'm right about this. I'm spitting if you it out. are, then I'm very impressed that you knew that CI meant Curie. Yeah, it's, it's def, that's definitely right. Like Madame Curie? Because that's kind of... That's how you measure radioactive isotopes. But like the... Um, just based on my time <laughs> doing all this radioactive work. <laughs> no, but I, I remember... I don't know why... Who told me this or where I remember this from, but I feel like it's in my brain somewhere, so hopefully it's like 50% true. But um, they were saying that the, the micro versus milli... Um, Curies was getting confused because people would come in for like thyroid imaging and then mm-hmm. the f- nuclear pharmacy would give them the millicurie versus the um, microcurie. So instead of imaging, you just ablated the person's thyroid. And so this is definitely it. the, for the, um, this treatment, it definitely is the mu sign, which I'm pretty sure is micro. So yeah. this, this is microcurie. Yeah. Per gram. Okay. So there's something about the, the imaging like that, that they were messing people's thyroids up when they weren't intended That is to. unfortunate. Yeah, that's not what you want. Yeah, and, you know, it's, I guess it's good that they named it after Madame Curie, but it's also kind of like a slap in the face at the same time. Well, I think, I don't think they, I think it's more so they just, that's how they measure isotopes. Well, yeah, they measure it, but Curie, like Madame Curie, right? I don't know who that is. You don't know who Madame Curie is? Mm-mm. I think she's like the lady who discovered radioactivity and she like, uh, gave herself, um, she poisoned herself radioactively, and that's uh, how she died. I thought that was Geiger. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Spitting out names now. Oh, man. This is why we're supposed to stick to what we're kind of talking you about. Know, scientific history was not, not ever our thing, even though I like to throw little tidbits in you do. every once in a while. But no, people will bring up little 
little like uh, whenever we would have um, intramural sports and they'd have some clever name, you know, about some uh, some old scientific person. I had no idea who they were. Like the people who discovered DNA. I can't even remember their Watson their, and Crick. Yeah, Watson and Crick. Come yeah. on, man. That's an easy one. OK, well, see, I, I knew Madame Curie. You knew Watson and Crick. That's right. why we make a great team. Such a good team. Yeah. See that, kids? <laughs> I think the only reason I know that is from Big Bang Theory anyway. We talk about her a lot. OK, well. TV is there. The, you go. Mike, TV. you just got to watch more. I know you watch movies out the wazi. You just got to watch some TV series. That's all. I, I know. I do. And it, usually it's the same movies, though. That's the problem. Really? It's I'm just the same ones over and over. Life crazy. She's <laughs> like, quite quoting stuff. <laughs> you know, every word. Every word. It's a curse. Don't know who Madame Curie is, but I can, no. can quote. Uh, quote something completely whatever, stupid nonsense. Whatever movies you like. Um, yeah. What else you got on this? Not much, man. I feel like this we kind of gypped was such a short one, but yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that means that they, they get to get a quick and dirty. I, I don't think there's too much more to it. So if we went through it, then, you know, combine this with the hypothyroid uh, mixed anema coma one and bada bing, bada boom, you're yeah, good make, to go. Make a day out of it. We didn't go super in depth on like um, uh, uh, thyroid storm, but uh, I think you got a little little taste of it. Yeah, you know, a little, for sure. A little niblet. We could probably go a lot more in depth later on, but um, this is what happens when we have zero prep time and we just kind of jump in it. Well, you know, we have jobs, so. Well, that's true. What do you guys expect? It's free, right? <laughs> you don't pay for this. Yeah, come on. Only, with, you, your, only you, with your time. You would pay for it. How, val- how valuable is time anyway? <laughs> Seriously. Who needs who needs that? It's not important. No. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll close up then and um, we'll, we'll come back and we'll revisit this, if you will, uh, later on. But make sure that we uh, go a little bit more in depth this time. It's a good start. And yeah, to be honest, we're recording another episode today. So, yeah, in about 10 minutes. Yep. So, we'll, we'll, we're preparing for that. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure which one's coming out first. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, thank you guys so much for, for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, for those of you who have taken like, the time to send emails and things like that, we greatly appreciate it. Um, we do our best to try to reach back out to y'all and, you know, answer your questions and things um but it's it's uh very cool to see um and hear from some of y'all i really appreciate all the ratings that we've gotten over the last couple months um even you one star people you're you're using your right to uh to vote that's awesome he always has to mention it no it's just i'm not bitter about it (laughs) i'm just kidding even though we keep getting a couple extras (laughs) Um, but no, thank you guys so much seriously for uh, voting and, and giving us the comments and feedback and things like that. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, we know that it's not uh, not the podcast for everybody, but those of you who do enjoy it and like it, we we greatly appreciate it. So thank you for the support, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya.